Frankie, we're back, mate. Yes. What day is it today? Tuesday, mate. Tuesday. Tuesday, the Another 28th week. of March, we're recording this. Mate, the weeks are rolling around very quickly. Mate, end of the first quarter in three mate, days. My holiday, my holiday seems a long time ago now. Distant memory, <laughs> eh? It is. Mate, uh, today we're going to run through the expenses that not everyone thinks about when they're buying investment properties and may not put into their cash flow analysis to give them their uh, their real net numbers. Obviously, the main costs you have when uh, when buying a property is uh, is interest and your mortgage repayments. Um, but there's a lot of other costs that come through when uh, when you're obviously buying property and holding property. And the more property you hold, the more expenses you have. Yeah, and like it's you know everyone likes to talk up the positive side, which is the you know the rental yield and the rent you're going to get from it from your investment property. But you know we need to talk about the other side, which are the expenses related. Now these expenses are of course tax deductible for in for uh, an investment property, which is great. Um, you get some rebate there. Um, but yeah, we'll go through uh, all of the property-related expenses for, a, uh, for an investment property. But mate, before we uh, before we do, um, something that I'm going through at the moment, I'm refinancing a, an asset that I have and bringing the loan down You know, by sort of 30% in cost because it's on a low-doc product at the moment and we're going back to a full-doc product. Um, and mate, the, I was actually running some numbers on these net numbers um, only this morning I was having a conversation at breakfast with someone around what the difference is for this particular asset if I was to have it as a full-time uh, rental, meaning yes. tenant in there full-time for 52 weeks or six months, whatever it is, in comparison to a short-term rental. So, you know, the property is worth sort of two and a half or just 2.7 million. It's been revalued at. Um, as a rental, obviously, as we know, we start to get up in purchase price. The yields do usually start to get slimmer yes. with residential. So that had you know, have a rental return of about $1,300 a week or thereabouts. So, so what, what yield roughly, like 2%? Well, if we're talking, say, $70,000 a year of, of rental income into $2 million, yeah, we're talking, or $2.5 million, you're talking, what, 25 ish okay. so gross yield. So well under that 3%. Well under the 7.5% interest I'm paying <laughs> at the moment, right? So right. it's very so, negative. Now, in comparison, so that would be full-time rental, then obviously you'd have all your costs come out of that. The strata for that property is quite high, $3,000 a quarter, mm. Um, you know, you've got all the other expenses of what we're going to talk through. Um, but this property I have is a short-term rental. Um, it's a, it's a very unique property, penthouse, credible views. Um, you know, it's a destination asset I call it. So when yeah. people go to a location, they uh, you it's know, the type of property they want to stay. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's not just your run-of-the-mill apartment yeah, something or something better than the. Uh, you know, a hotel. Then it's than better a hotel than a hotel. And, and that they're living in at home. Like when we go on holidays, we want to live in something better for those couple of weeks, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so, you know, we're averaging on that property around about $12,000 a month. Okay. So in, that's pretty uh, good rent. In income. In comparison to, you know, $1,300 a week, which, you know, over a four-week month, for example, we're talking, what, uh, about $5,000 a month. So yeah. we're talking about double. Now, obviously, with short-term rentals, you have got 20% or thereabouts for management costs. So that's going to come off the top of that. So now we're down to about $8,000. Yeah. And uh, you've got a few other bits and bobs. But well, you've got some vacancy weeks in there as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. But that's a long-term average. We're doing about 12000 a month. Okay. You know, January, so December, January, you might do $20,000 a month. Gotcha. Then it's a little bit quieter. Okay, so that's an average twelve grand a month. Yeah. That's pretty good. Exactly. So, mate, just the difference in it, buying the right asset and taking advantage of things like short-term rentals in New South Wales at the moment, you're capped at only being able to lease it for six months of the year. Okay. Um, but just the difference in yield, you know, we're talking mm. at twelve thousand dollars, eleven to twelve thousand dollars a month. We're talking say one hundred and forty-ish thousand dollars a year, um, over the top of two and a half million dollars in uh, in value. And you know, it's like a five to six percent yield in comparison to a two to three percent yield. So it's almost yes. double. Um, and obviously, that makes holding costs of those kind of assets 
much more uh, palatable. And uh, it was interesting. I was doing something yesterday. I did a TikTok on, a, on an article that realestate.com uh, did on the 10 most expensive Airbnbs in Australia. Mm. You know, it was Fred Shabesta's house in South Coogee, for example, of which he paid six and a half million, but to stay there is 23 grand a night. <laughs> you know, there's, there's some in uh, that Branson owns in, Richard Branson owns in uh, uh, Noosa, which was, you know, $15,000 a night. So just how you can get the right asset, get incredible growth off those assets yes. and then still be able to cash flow them if it's the right kind of property. Well, the growth is going to, the capital growth is going to be the same whether you're, you know, short-term lease it or, or lease it under nor- normal circumstances, isn't it? I suppose, though, you know, going into the property, if you're looking for something particular to short-term and like you mentioned, Noosa, you know, you, you might be swayed to buying in Noosa, which may not have as good a capital growth as somewhere else, you know, where you're just mm. going to lease it for for 52 weeks of the year yeah um, but it all depends on you know how that type of property i suppose fits into your portfolio as well as we always talk absolutely. about absolutely absolutely it does now frankie the uh the expenses that not many people understand and don't you know have an impact on uh on how expensive we could potentially be to hold a property so like we said most expensive uh and, th- and these numbers also just preface on that that we're going to run through you've actually gone through your own portfolio to say well how much does it actually cost oh yeah look, as a percentage I, i'm not going to go through specific numbers but just an overall you know percentage um but yeah you're going to say that your interest expense at whatever you know you're on pni mm. fixed variable interest only and and whatever rate you negotiated or, or you know were, were approved for obviously your your interest expenses is your biggest part mm. um so we're going to talk about the other um, costs uh, associated with uh, owning an investment property though and I suppose the first one is your your agent management fees now look you can manage the property yourself now w- w- when we talk about managing the property we're talking about looking for a tenant advertising for a tenant um, collecting the rent um, you know issuing the the tenant with statements and understanding the law that is associated with um, you know tenancy mm. agreements now, I don't know about you, Jack, but you know I don't know all the ins and outs of, of tenancy agreement law. Nor and, would you fucking want to, Frank. Exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that, and that's exactly my point. For the small amount, now look, they can range anywhere from five percent to eight percent plus, depending on what location you are around the country or around the state. Um, but for that small amount of fee, they do all the work. They simply keep you informed. They collect your rent. They put it in your bank account. They send you a statement. And, you know, Bob's your uncle, so they say. So 100%. I highly recommend not doing it yourself. Um, and another thing to think about is, do I believe that a property manager who does his day in, day out is going to be able to add more than 5 to 7% worth of value to my rental income or to my life every year? Exactly. Very uh, small amount of money in the grand scheme of That's things. right. So when the tenants have an issue, oh, my, uh, you know, my my kitchen tap is leaking they're not ringing you Mm. you know you're busy doing what you do they ring the real estate agent the property manager they deal with it if it's required they'll they'll call you and get involved now you know there's the agents management fees five to seven percent that can often include an admin fee uh then then you've got your tenancy and leasing fee so when you know they have to an advertising fees when your tenant leaves and they have to advertise for a new one you're Mm. up for advertising fees they'll usually take a letting fee which is one week's rent um so you know there's a there's a little bit of uh cost there cost there but well worth it in my opinion to have a, a likewise a professional to manage your property for you now the other ones uh we go on now this is still like anybody who's owning a property is is your council rates and your water rates mm-hmm. um obviously as the owner you pay for those um now 
one thing with uh, water rates is that um, if you have an investment property that is a house, the water usage, you can claim that water usage back from the tenants. So, you know, I know when I get my bills, I flick it onto my property manager. I say, here's the latest water bill for water usage reimbursement from the tenants. They then deduct that from the, uh, you know, from the tenants. Well, not deduct it, but they pass that on to the tenant and uh, pass it back to me. Uh, With uh, units, um, the water usage is is included. You have to pay for that. Um, One thing to note, though, with the council and water rates, I suppose, is, you know, at the time you're buying the property, the previous owner would have paid the council and water rates for that quarter, let's say. So let's just say I'm buying a property off you, Jack. You've paid the council and water rates till the 30th of June. When we settle, let's just say midway through May, there's six weeks there, let's call it a month and a half, of council rates and water rates that you have paid in advance to the 30th of June. Now, that will be adjusted by the solicitors at settlement. You'll get a credit back, and I, as the new owner coming in in mid-May, will then pick up those six weeks till mm. the end of June. Um, so that's a little thing there. Um, the other one is um, strata levies for for items like units and townhouses that are strata titled. Um, there are obviously strata levies. Now, again, they are adjusted based on your settlement date to what the previous owner may have paid for them. Now, let's talk a bit about strata levies, Jack. You know, what do they cover? Mate, your strata levies cover the majority of cost when you own an apartment. So inside of your levies, you've got two components to it. You've got your capital expenditure or your capital works fund, and you've got your admin fund. So capital expenditure um, usually makes up a percentage of your overall strata levy, and that is calculated usually over a 10-year period. They get a capital expenditure plan and say, over the next 10 years, this building's going to cost us half a million dollars to uh, to upkeep, so $50,000 So I'd like to repaint the building. Yeah, just maintenance to make sure that it's Making not going to fall apart. Good. Yeah, um, we, we might be in for replacing the roof tiles or something like that. Exactly. Like common yeah. property. And then they break that down per unit entitlement, so how, much, you know, how many unit entitlements your unit has as a part of that strata plan, and you pay your portion of that every quarter. Yeah. Um, then your admin fund or the admin portion of your... Uh, strata levy then goes into things like your expenses to have a strata manager your yeah, the legislative uh, requirements yeah that's right the, uh, the building insurance AGMs that you have to pay you yeah. know to have have uh, chaired the uh, the building insurance like you said all the things that aren't fall under the admin side of the building yeah um, so you really when you own an apartment shouldn't really have any maintenance and upkeep except for things inside of the apartment right your tenant falls over and smashes the the shower screen or something like that in your shower. <laughs> yeah. That's your not water, by you know, the, the water leaking, the toilets leaking or something. Yeah. So things Fuel. inside of your apartment are covered by yourself, which is minimal. Things yeah. external to the apartment and common property are all covered under your strata levies. Yeah. And you know, depending if you're talking investment grade property like we buy the apartments, you're usually talking levies of somewhere between eight to eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars per quarter. For, uh, for properties, low-maintenance boutique blocks of apartments. Yeah. Now, you touched on the Capital Works Fund, or back in my day, what used to be called the Sinking Fund. Now, this is obviously a provisional account, like you said. You know, what are the, uh, you know, the major expenses, if you like, or capital improvements to the property or to the building, if we're talking a unit block, that's going to be, uh, you know, needed over the next 10-plus years. Um, and so that's a pool of money that sort of sits there and keeps growing and growing. Now, one thing a lot of people don't might not know is that when you buy into a into a when you buy a strata unit and you buy into that building, you you are receiving the benefit. Um, well, it's a benefit if there's a lot of money in there. But let's just say there's two hundred thousand dollars there sitting in the in the capital works fund mm. that 
the person you're buying it off has been contributing to, well, you walk in and you take over the benefit of that, so to speak. So it's free money, if you like, because you haven't contributed to that 200000 um, That's right. The yeah. previous owner has. Now, yes, their last quarter statement will be adjusted, as we mentioned, but they don't get back all that money that they've put into the Capital Works Fund that may not have been you know, used for a new lift or painting the building and things like that. That's so, right. it's, so it's free money, so to speak. So it's always good to look Unfortunately, at... Unfortunately, you can't set up a debit card to your... Uh, to <laughs> no, your you can't withdraw it, but it's but it's there. And you know, you might walk in and they go, hey, uh, we're about to uh, you know, rip out the old lift and put in a new one. And you know what? There's already few hundred thousand dollars sitting there in the capital works fund so we don't need to call a special levy it's already been paid for and you go happy days um so yeah that's um it's a it's a good thing to note that always you know as we should as we always do get a strata report and check out how much is in the admin fund and the and the capital works fund yeah um and ensure there's an adequate amount there and uh you know some things with strata levies i know you know a lot of agents will profess you know when they're trying to sell a unit oh the strata levies are low it's not always a good thing. If they're low, maybe there's not enough money in that capital works fund. And sometimes if they're on the higher side, you might find that there is a substantial amount um, there. So um, good things to note. Um, another essential item I think uh, was an essential expense that I think everyone should have is landlord's insurance, Jack. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about landlord's insurance. Landlord's Pretty insurance. Pretty self-explanatory, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We should cover insurances in general underneath this because if you're a You've got a house, you're usually going to have house and contents insurance. Which That's is right, yeah. Building, you know, if a fucking thing build burns to the ground, mm. you're, you know, insured to be able to replace it uh, and the contents inside of it as well. Um, so that's that's a, a, a an insurance you have. You usually don't have that insurance with an apartment because your building is insured through. That's your, right, yeah. And I was going to mention with an apartment, it's more about the. Uh, you know, like you said, the, the contents and the tenants, you know, if the tenants uh, stop paying the rent, if the tenants cause any damage, your landlord's insurance will, will cover that accidental exactly. damage and, and things inside usually, the apartment. And it's usually, you know, somewhere between, what, two to $600 a year, depending on who you who. who who yeah, I think for my through. units, uh, they're, they're between four and five hundred bucks. Yeah, and it depends you know? on the rental value and all the rest of yeah. it. But it's an insurance which essentially covers your ass in case, uh, you know, bad things happen with the tenant. They don't cover or they trash your apartment or house or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously your building and contents covers your uh, your building. And so insurance is something that is, again, just a line item on our expense uh, expense chart. Yeah, but very much an essential. And yeah, now if you have an investment property that is a house, you've already mentioned it, you really need two landlord's insurance policies there. One is for the building itself, the mm -hmm. house itself. Um, you know, should the tenant, should it, you know, burn to the ground for God knows what reason, an electrical fault, someone drops a candle or something and up go your curtains. Um, and then you also need, similar to the, the strata unit, you need your the, the contents inside. Mm. Um, and again, for, for the tenants, you know, any damage they may cause or um, loss of rent. Thankfully, I haven't had any... Uh, claims on my landlord's insurance either, actually we, i've never i've never had to claim yeah which is a good thing yeah you know you know it's one of those things it's like sort of private health insurance or any type it's of like insurance. Life insurance frankie isn't it you, know? <laughs> you never want to claim on that well sometimes you, your wife wants to claim on yeah, it you can't claim on it that's for sure it's life insurance all right let's talk about, okay so this was an interesting one now that gets a lot of um uh, discussion i suppose and it's land tax mm. now i just had a now obviously land tax is a tax based on the value and we're talking land value here of um, you know the of the total properties that you own. Now it is a state-based tax, um, and each um, state has their own tax-free threshold, if you like. Um, and that changes every year as well, based on the uh, what value is it? The, uh, the, the value of general's assessment. 
Um, now I just had a look for New South Wales, the tax-free threshold is up to 969,000. Um, so now an interesting point here is that this is per person. So I know in my, with me and my wife, I have some properties solely in my name and some properties solely in her name purely for tax reasons in regards to we both then get that $969,000 tax-free threshold if we're buying, for example, Which doesn't include your owner-occupier purchase, just investments. Exactly. Your owner-occupied property or, or your principal place of residence is exempt. Is exempt. Yep. Um, now, look, it's a personal thing. Some people, you know, husband and wife might want to say, you know, we're a husband and wife. We're going to put them fifty-fifty in my name. Depends on your on your working circumstances as well, because obviously, the properties in my wife's name go on her tax return. The ones in my name go in my ta- my uh, tax return. But we do both get that nine hundred sixty-nine thousand dollars threshold. Now, Jack, talk about you know when people say, well, I'm hitting my threshold in New South Wales, hence I'm going to move and you know look to invest next in another state. Is mm. that a good strategy or not? It- it can be the right strategy mm. if you're, uh, you know, if you're still focusing on whatever the end goal is for yourself. And as most people know, we very much focus on the growth of the asset. Yes. So, you know, you have to look at net numbers, which is what we always talk about, net numbers. So if you're going to go over your tax-free threshold, you know, on the next property you buy, you're going to have a few thousand dollars a year of, of land tax payable. Um, you just have to work out, is that few thousand dollars a year actually worthwhile for me paying that? Um or, you know, is, is it not worthwhile because I'm not going to get the growth or, or the net numbers are going to be worse mm. or I should go and invest elsewhere. Um, I'm a big believer in specialization over diversification. So yes. you look at the most successful investor or one of the most successful investors in the world as Warren Buffett. He specializes in a very, very small uh, criteria of, mm. of companies that he invests yeah, in. Yeah, I think he buys no more than eight to 10 stocks or something like that. He doesn't yeah. spread his And that's because he thin. understands those businesses like yeah. the back of his hand. And um, I'm a big believer in property the same, you know, instead of owning things here, there and everywhere, if you understand the marketplace that you're in and it's a really strong market with good fundamentals behind it, you know the best streets, you know what buyers want. You talk the eastern suburbs, for example, you could be the most successful investor in the world, I reckon, Mm. by just investing in the eastern suburbs and knowing the intricacies of all the different suburbs and streets and property types and aspects. And That's right, yeah. You know, like, you know. And a great example of that is, is, um, is Frank Lowy who bought last week um, owns five houses side by side in Watson's Bay, two and a half thousand square meters <laughs> of land on the water. And, uh, and mate, there was this duplex across the road that popped up for sale, wasn't surrounded by any neighbors, fronts right onto the beach and uh, hadn't been sold in X amount of years. And mate, he paid $7 million over, uh, over reserve or the guide who ended up paying 14 mil for the, for the duplex, 209 bids in that auction. Um, but that property now has an unlimited value on it because it will never come up for sale again. Mm. So the scarcity to that asset is just like, you know, and that's understanding the market that he invests in. He knows Watson's Bay like the back of his hands. He knows what people wants. And now if someone ever wants that, you can, yeah. you know, put, give him a blank check. So he'll be paying his fair share of land tax, but he's banking on the capital growth. Well, he knows the capital growth is going to far outweigh the land tax. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting when people say, I'm hitting my land tax threshold, I'm going to go and invest in Brisbane or Melbourne or, or Perth. You have to, you know, do your research and think, okay, do I, st- you know, I can go and invest in any one of those other states. And yes, they've got their own tax-free thresholds in regards to land tax. But is the capital growth going to be there or am I better staying in New South Wales, paying a bit of land tax because I know 
that the capital growth is going to far outweigh that in the other states. Mm. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but it's something you need to do your research on and assess because at the end of the day, um, you know, if your land tax in New South Wales, sorry, if your capital growth in New South Wales, if you believe is going to far outweigh that of other states, then your land tax expense is going to be a very small percentage of that capital growth. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And let's not forget, the land tax is tax deductible. So they tax you, but then they give you a tax break on it in, in your tax return the next right. year. So if you're paying 48 cents in the dollar, you're going to get half of that back anyway. There you go. And uh, just for people's uh, uh, benefit, so the, the, the land tax is assessed as at the 31st of December each year. So as at the 31st of December, whatever properties you are holding, that's when they assess it. And then obviously you get you know your, your invoice and your bill um, a couple of months later in January to Which March. Which is very exciting when that comes. Yeah, just right after Christmas <laughs> when everyone's cashed up. All right, Jack, um, another expense that, uh, now this is a variable expense, it's repairs and maintenance. Mm. Whether it's a house or a unit, you are going to have some repairs and maintenance. I was just looking at my, you know, and I've got a mix of houses and units in different states. Um, look, for, for some units, not even $500 for the, for the tax year. And for some of the houses, a few thousand dollars, depending mm. really on, on what it is. Now, this could be anything, plumbing expense, electrical expense. Hot water system shits itself. Yes, yeah, hot yeah. water system's a common one. Um, you know, paints peeling or, you know, the doors. Ceiling fans, just constant, constant stuff. Little things that break down in yeah. what for, you know, if you're a non-investor that you would have in your own owner-occupied house. That's right. There's always something. There's always some little expense. So like the name suggests, you've got to repair something or you've got to maintain something. You know, the dishwasher, you know, stops working, get the dishwasher person out to, to repair it. Um, and, you know, again, these these expenses are tax deductible. All and of most, these things we're talking about think, are tax deductible. You know, in most of the cash flow analysis that we do, we account for 1% of the property value. For repairs uh, and maintenance. For repairs and maintenance, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So... Um, and I've just had a look now. So all of these things we're talking about, the agents fees, the council rates, water strata, landlords insurance, land tax, repairs and maintenance. I just had a look across my property portfolio there for the last tax year. Now that they equated to, you know, roughly 60% as an expense of my total rental income. So it's a fair chunk, mm-hmm. right? And some of the properties were as, you know, just under 50%, some were, you know, closer to 70%. Again, you know, the repairs and maintenance is really the, the variable one. If you get a bad run, uh, you know, that can really um, push up your so expenses. So 60% of your rental income is gone to... It's gone uh, straight away in all these expenses. You then, and that's excluding interest. Usually then the, the remaining 40% goes in interest, again, depending on what you are. And that... That would get you to a break-even position, right? 60% on these what I call property-related expenses, 40% as an interest expense, you're in a break-even position. Now, if those expenses are higher than your your rental income, then you're into a negative position. Um, one other thing, though, that isn't an expense, well, it is an expense, I should say, but it's, it's things like capital improvements. Now, capital improvement is something that is new, that you're introducing new. You're, as the name suggests, you're improving the property. Mm. So this is where I was just thinking from my own, um, you know, my tenants asked if I wouldn't mind putting in, you know, if I wouldn't mind spending five grand on a couple of uh, split system air conditioners. Frankie, just chuck a few of the, few of the uh, split systems in for the boys. Mate. That's That'd it. Nice. So, it's you know, hot I like up here to impress my tenants, so I put them in. I see it, I see it in two ways. One, I'm, I'm keeping the tenants happy. Oh, they're getting you know air conditioners that they wanted in the in whatever rooms they wanted them in. I'm also improving the property. The property's gone up a little bit in value now. And the day I come to sell it, because it's got a couple of 
aircon's air in there. And I can now depreciate those, you know, the five grams of aircon over however many years, as my accountant tells me, mm. um, the expense over the years. Um, so cap with capital improvements, like because I spent five grand, I cannot just go, okay, that's a repair and maintenance expense of five grand. Like if, if the, you know, my accountant tells me aircons are, you know, you've got to depreciate those over eight years, whatever the five grand divided by eight is, I can claim that much as a depreciation expense every year. Mm. Uh, so you can claim a depreciation expense, but not the full amount of the value. Um, and capital improvements could be, could be anything, new air conditioners. I don't know what. What else could you improve your house in? Mate, anything, any renovation you do, any reno kitchens, you do, bathrooms, yeah. put a deck out the back of the property, That's repaint right. the property, um, put a driveway in, garage door, anything, anything you do to improve the asset that isn't repairing what's currently there, is uh, is classified as an improvement, and you that's depreciate it. it. Yeah, so I think that's uh, that. That's pretty much. And, all and of just them. the one last thing on that, which you can classify as an expense. Is a uh, is a depreciation report. So you know, six oh, yes. hundred well, bucks, eight hundred bucks, whatever it is. Well, that's going to be our tip of the week, Jack. mate. Oh shit, I've I've, yeah. I've jumped the bloody gun, here, Frankie. <laughs> You've jumped the gun, mate. I was going to say that leads us into our uh, tip of the week, which is when you buy an investment property, always go out and get a depreciation report done. Um, and the importance of now this will cost you seven hundred to eight hundred dollars. There's plenty of companies out there that do depreciation reports. Um, it's a one-off fee. It's not an annual fee. You can claim that <laughs> the depreciation report expense. And what this is going to do is, you know, whether it's a house, whether it's a, a unit, a strata titled unit, it's going to go through the property, and uh, you know what are they called? Quantity surveyors. They go through it and they will assess all the depreciation on every bit of the property. And then you give that to your accountant, and then every time you come to do your tax return, they will go and you know assign that year's depreciation expense against your taxable mm. income on your on your um, on your tax return. So it's a non-cash item as you as you know if you like. I mean, the only cash you've spent is the one-off fee at the at the beginning, but then for for the rest of the time or well, until that depreciation is fully expired yeah you're, you're claiming a uh, a bit of depreciation every year and i know for some of my properties it's quite substantial you and know that's why people like buying brand new right so like, i got all this money oh. i'm getting back <laughs> you know well I, for those people who profess you know to buy brand new yes they you always hear them talk about well oh, you'll get um great rebates back on you know de- on your tax because of the depreciation expense and that's because everything's brand new so it's got 40 years on some items to depreciate you know the right. building itself probably but bear in mind you know there, there is pro- a cost to that there's a cost to that because you're probably buying brand new you're going to be probably paying a, paying premium. a premium so it's uh you know you got to weigh these things net up. numbers frankie net numbers net that's what numbers. we're worried but about yes the tip of the week you know please always get a depreciation report done you don't have to do anything you ring them up and for, for a lot of these people you ring them up you give them the address and they will actually work out before they go out and before you commit to the report you know roughly how much you're going to get back in depreciation just let's just say for the first five to ten years, and mm. it's, I can tell you now, if it's not more than the seven or eight hundred dollars that the report is costing you, they won't they, do it. They won't do it. They'll tell you up front. But yeah, well worth. Very few houses won't be able to get eight hundred bucks back. Exactly. The hot on that. Um, so yeah, it's been very uh, worthwhile. You know, I've, I've got a depreciation report. I don't only get a few bit. depreciation reports happening on mine. I fucking. You always, it's one of these things I people forget, forget because yeah. they, you settle, you you know, you rent out the property and then tax time comes around and your Frank, account goes, question for you, where's Mr. the depreciation Accountant, report? <laughs> is there any, can you back claim depreciation from when you purchase the property? 
I don't know. It was something I was actually thinking about too because if you've owned the property for, let's just say, three years and you forgot to get a depreciation report done, um, I'm not sure. I think your accountant well, mate, would have to go back and adjust your previous tax returns. Here we go, team. You just stay tuned <laughs> here. Let's go to uh, Dr. Google. Can you back claim? Yeah, my, my tip is your accountant would have to go back and, and readjust your previous year's tax returns, which I believe you can do. Here we go. The easiest way to claim depreciation is to get a tax depreciation schedule. Yes. Um, mate, we're gonna I'm gonna we're gonna have to get the answer to this. Can I back claim? Here we go, here we go. Here we go. Can yes you can back claim. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you can back claim depreciation for your investment properties for previous years. If you've held your investment property for a number of years but didn't realise you could be claiming depreciation on it, you've effectively overpaid your taxes and you're entitled to claim back the overpayment from the ATO. How many years back claim will depend on the previous tax lodgements as well as your personal circumstances. Your accountant will be able to provide more details. There we go. There you go. Mate, so if you haven't got a depreciation, folks, and you've got a property and you've owned it for quite a while, back claim the fuck out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Now, that's probably it, Jack, on the the, uh, property-related expenses. In current news, look, tomorrow, 29th of March, the... the, uh, the inflation figures come out the cpi figures come mm. out now the consensus is that the inflation will decrease from 7.4 percent to 7.2 percent now well that's not very high it, look this is just a consensus but given all these you know interest rate increases the rba would be wanting to see something something for more than just 0.2 percent um so it'll be interesting to see let's not forget the target of inflation is still to get it down to two to three percent. So we're slightly, slightly high, Frankie, <laughs> slightly high. Um, and the and the RBA meets next Tuesday on the fourth of April. Uh, That's your favourite day of the month. Well, you know these Frankie times comes it's exciting into the times. office. He's got his, he's got his shirt tucked in, his hair slicked back. <laughs> I don't know about slicked back, mate. <laughs> but well, yeah, so uh, you know tomorrow. Um, the, the inflation rate comes out and, you know, this will be interesting to see if it makes an impact of what the RBA does next week, whether they do hold, give everyone a bit of a breather, wait for, you know, last month's, the March in, um, increase to, to flow through to people's uh, pockets um, or whether they uh, rise the rates again. Time will tell. Mate, time will absolutely tell. Now, folks, as always, it's been a pleasure. I think we've been talking for just over 30 minutes 30 here. Minutes. Hey, mate, I reckon that's enough of our voices for someone's eardrums for one day. <laughs> Mate, we'll be back next week. All right. Got on your tank. Cheers. This is general advice and does not take into consideration your objectives, situation, or needs. You should consider if this advice is suitable to you or your circumstances, and please read any applicable PDS beforehand. This is a Henderson podcast production.